Hello and welcome into the Lions Lair, a Penn State sports podcast brought to you by the Center Daily Times. I'm your host, John Sauber. Joining me as always, Kyle J. Andrews. Kyle, how are you today? I'm doing well as always, just, um, you know, pretty uh, exciting things that we have coming up here. Um, you know, I just came out with a new article that I talked about last week, so I'm pretty excited for everyone to read that. Um, we got a lot of news with, uh, I mean, just involving Penn State as a whole. You know, I, I think this is um, this is going to be a good podcast. Yeah, no, I uh, I agree. Uh, you know, the go to centerdaily.com to read Kyle's story about the sort of McDonough pipeline that's being built by Penn State uh, football there, uh, led by Kenny Sanders, a former alum of, of McDonough uh, in Maryland. So it's a good read. It's well worth your time. Today, we are going to be talking about uh, – you know, the, the, the state of the team closer or closer to the state of the team than, than, you know, the recruiting aspect of things. Uh, and we're going to start with quarterbacks. As, as we said on the last podcast, I've been doing the depth chart breakdowns and uh, we've had our first few of those that are out. And you can also find those on centerdaily.com. Uh, but we're going to start with the quarterbacks because it always starts with the quarterback and any discussion about Penn state this year is going to start with the quarterback. Uh, so it is a unique situation. It is a uh, probably an uncomfortable situation for, for those who root for Penn State. Uh, Sean Clifford, the incumbent starter, that should be starting this year, has, has not been pushed really uh, by, by anyone that, that we've seen. Uh, and there's not a lot of reason to believe he will be pushed either because of the lack of depth. Uh, but I guess to kick things off, Kyle, what, what are your impressions of Sean Clifford and, and how he played last year and what needs to, what needs to happen this year? Well, I think he can improve on literally everything. I mean, I didn't see anything that really stood out to me last year that was good. I mean, to say the least, Um, you know, I I think that he made some decisions that were questionable at best. Um, I also think that, you know, he can be a little skittish in a pocket. Um, You know, he doesn't set his feet uh, often when he throws. and, and when he tries to take on pressure inside the pocket, I mean, it just seems like he kind of folds up, you know, I mean, it, it's a far cry from what it was, you know, two years ago when he was playing against Memphis in that uh, cotton bowl game. But, you know, I, I just don't know what happened to Sean Clifford, uh, whether, I mean, he, he just looks like a totally different guy. Like he doesn't look confident. He doesn't look like someone, who truthfully believes the things that he's saying, you know, we've had conversations prior before about, um, you know, just Sean Clifford saying one thing and then the coaching staff saying a totally different thing. So, you know, I, I mean, it's a lot to be concerned about for Penn state. If he doesn't get it right. I mean, that can tank their whole season. Cause I think this is a talented roster, but you know, with Sean Clifford at the helm, how much can you really do? And, you know, you also don't have anyone behind him that's pushing him. So that's how I feel about Sean Clifford. And, you know, hopefully he can prove me wrong. Um, just in, in in the sense that I want to see good football this season because that's good for us, obviously. You know, we don't want to cover uh, a bad football team. But, um, you know, I think Sean Clifford, if he's, if he's at least decent this year, I think Penn State can win eight games. Yeah, and, and that's sort of the, the problem uh, with Penn State is 
eight games is not going to cut it, quite frankly, for this fan base and, and for, I would assume, the athletic department and everything. Uh, this is the, the athletic department's breadwinner. Um, they're expecting double-digit wins every year, and and I think you nailed it with a lot of that. And, and I go back to what you said about sort of what he says not kind of aligning uh, with what the coaching staff says sometimes. After the one of the open spring practices, James Franklin mentioned that he wanted more consistency at the quarterback position. Uh, new offensive coordinator Mike Yurcich mentioned that he wanted more consistency at the quarterback position. Uh, and then Sean Clifford said he doesn't think his consistency is an issue. And clearly there is some sort of disconnect there. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what it is. And there, I would tend to side with your and Franklin. Like you said, there's there are consistency issues, whether that's with his footwork, uh, whether that's with how he gets through his progression, whether that's with how he's releasing the ball and, and his, his ball placement in general on, on short, intermediate and deep routes. Uh, you know, it, it's with the decisions he makes when he's on the move, when he's in the pocket, uh, there's just inconsistency. Uh, and that can be improved. He is he has shown flashes that he can do all of these things uh, at a high level. He just never does them all at a high level uh, for a full game. And that was the case in 2020. And that's part of the reason the team was bad. Right. That was that was a major reason why it was four and five. Uh, they needed more consistent quarterback play. Now, there were there were things last year to sort of cause those things. Um, I don't think Clifford's entirely at fault for all of them. Namely, he was he was not able to work with a bunch of his wide receivers uh, until just before the season started because of COVID, because of everything that was happening. Uh, so it would be reasonable for him not to be on the same page as those guys. Even Jahan Dotson, uh, you know, someone he had thrown to before, this was his first year being the primary target. So that kind of changed things for Clifford a little bit. And with Pat Fryermuth, that was Clifford's go-to guy. He got hurt, and he wasn't himself basically uh, until he was declared out for the season uh, and, and, and got surgery on the shoulder. Uh, and, and so that made things even more difficult uh, for Clifford. So there were, there were things working against him that made – Things hard, a change in offense too, that they didn't have a lot of time to run under Kirk Shiraka last year. Now they'll have that again this year, but they they actually have the off-season off time to get things rolling. Uh, but you're right. the Everything was an issue last year. Uh, no, matter, no matter what they seemed to try to do offensively, it came back to Sean Clifford wasn't playing well, unless he took off. You know, when he took off running, he was, he ran the ball well, quite frankly. Uh, and, that, that should not be your primary source of offense, um, you know, in, in the Big Ten because you're going to have to move the ball downfield with some with how explosive offenses that mainly Ohio State are. You need to be able to keep up. Um, and, and Penn State wasn't able to do that last year, even with a good defense that was able to slow down the, the Ohio State offense. Um, so, yeah, Clifford's going to have to improve this year. Uh, we've seen reports that he – uh, supposedly is looking good in, in some camps, which is always a positive sign. But again, it comes down to, to game day for him uh, when he can all put it together on game day. We've, you know, he can look as good as he wants in, in, in these sort of uh, shell reps, but until he's out there in pads making those plays for Penn State against Wisconsin, it's people are going to stay skeptical of him. Um, and I would say rightfully so just because of the, of what happened last year. And you mentioned 2019, 
he that was the best version of him we've seen at Penn State. And I think a lot of that was because he was just taking the game as it comes. He wasn't trying to force the issue. He wasn't trying to be the hero. Uh, he wasn't trying to save the day. Uh, he was just taking the game as it comes, being a game manager, getting the ball to his weapons, letting them make plays in the open field, uh, letting them sort of be the offense, right? Like he was more the distributor. He was more the point guard than the uh, than uh, a guy who chucks it downfield 15 times a game. Uh, he was he was good. He was helpful, and it, it led to the team going to the Cotton Boys, you said, uh, getting double-digit wins. And, and that's kind of, you know – he doesn't need to be a star this year, but he needs to be a starting level quarterback, which he wasn't last year. Um, and it led to him getting benched for Will Levis at one point. Of course, Levis is gone now. Uh, and that is really the, the, that was really the only experienced quarterback on the roster other than Clifford. Now his backup is Taquan Roberson, who is, uh, who has, I believe one passing attempt in his career against Rutgers two years ago, uh, has no experience has has looked good at times uh, in the the two open practices that I saw in in the spring uh, in April he he had some moments where I was like okay this could be a starting quarterback but he also had some egregious mistakes uh, mistakes that you just can't make if you're a starting quarterback at a at a school like Penn State you have to you know you you have to be safer with the ball than, than Roberson was. Now, those were practices. We don't know how that will translate to game action because we haven't seen him in game action. But I think the almost more concerning than the starting situation is the backup situation uh, because, quite frankly, there's there's no one the team can trust right now behind Clifford. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, Christian Vey, I, I lose how to pronounce his last name, Veyu. He is Canadian. I believe. Yes. He, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and maybe down the line, he could give you something, but I don't think that's immediate, you know, that's not right here and right now. So, you know, I mean, Penn state, we, we've had this conversation before, you know, off of here where we've discussed how Penn state, they can get, I mean, how many quarterbacks can you really get to come to the school? You know, and it's not I don't necessarily think that it's a knock on James Franklin as a recruiter, because I feel like James Franklin 100 percent knocks down doors to try to get as many guys as he possibly can. But the chips just don't fall the way that they want them to when it comes to trying to find a quarterback. I don't I don't know why that is. And it's not just been a James Franklin thing. That's something we have to we have to consider that this has been going on for what is it twenty plus years? You know, yeah. I mean, who was the last? Gotten, they've gotten two high level quarterbacks that that have panned out sort of well. Like Christian Hackenberry being a five star quarterback is the, the notable one during the Bill O'Brien era, but that didn't end well, quite frankly. And Anthony Morelli, all those years ago, was a five star quarterback that again didn't end well. So I. You're right. It's either they're not getting the guys or they're getting guys and they're not developing properly. Yeah. And and that's, you know, like I said, that's uh, it's not just a James Franklin issue. It's it's a Penn State as a whole issue. And I, I think that's something that, you know, I don't know what it is. Maybe maybe like, I mean, bringing in your and saying, OK, let's open up this offense. Let's make it more dynamic. Maybe you get more guys that want to come to school to, to play quarterback. 
and I think Yurisich is a, you know, to me, I just think that's a that's a really good fit for what they want to do. Now, I don't think that they have the guys right now to, I mean, when it comes to quarterback, that they can, you know, accomplish what he wants to accomplish. I, I mean, we'll see what happens, but I mean, it's just tough to say. It's really tough to say. Um, and I just, you know, I want I want to see the offense open up and I want to see things kind of develop more. And, you know, maybe quarterbacks will decide, okay, Penn State is the place that I want to go because I know that Mike Yurisich is going to make this offense go. And I think that's that's a big part of it at this point. Uh, you know, there have been guys, like I said, that have been highly touted that have come here that, that haven't worked out. Robert Bolton's one that a bunch of people will remember. Uh, but it is whenever they got here. So the previous regime, the, the, the Paterno era regime, the offenses were just not creative. Uh, there wasn't a lot to them unless Michael Robinson or Daryl Clark was making plays on their own. Really. Uh, they were not these high speed offenses that teams were transitioning to starting around the, the late two thousands. Uh, and, and then the Bill O'Brien era gets here and, and it's a pro style offense where they have Hackenberg, but that was, that was basically a mess once O'Brien left and, Hackenberg was sort of a mess and was never the same. Um, and, and you're right. Now we get to Franklin and they still sort of can't lock these guys in. And it's not a problem of identifying talent either. They identified Justin Fields. They were one of the first schools to offer. He was a three-star recruit at the time, you know, was, was committed to Penn state for the longest time. And then unsurprisingly he blew up and, and everyone started offering him and he ends up going to Georgia, of course, later transferring to Ohio state. And that's one of the, the biggest what ifs, I think of the James Franklin era, you know, what if they had gotten Justin Fields, what would this team have looked like the last few years? And I would venture to guess it would have been a playoff team with some of the defenses they had uh, in, in the recent, you know, two or three years. Um, but it didn't happen. And, and so now they have to convince the next guy to come and the next guy again, has to be good enough to make the playoff because that's the goal if you're at Penn State. Uh, they, they have to be a talented enough quarterback to uh, lead your team to the college football playoff. And and the guys they've recruited have been good, but none of them have been great. I think Veyu is really good. I think he's sort of between those two tiers, uh, but he's a guy that's pretty far away. Like you're, you're not going to see that for at least another two years. Now, I will say in the, the 2022 recruiting class, they do have Drew Alar committed. Uh, that is a quarterback to be excited about from what I've seen from, you know, from huddle, from, from plate, like you try to find clips of these kids playing in high school, there are clips on Twitter of them throwing at camps. Drew Alar seems to be the real deal. Uh, this seems to be the yeah. guy that could potentially change things. However, he's a 2022 commit, meaning he won't be on campus till January at the earliest, potentially not, ne not until next summer. And then he's probably not going to be ready to start until at least 2023. So that's still two years out uh, till that guy can come. So, you know, you hit the transfer yeah. portal. James Franklin has said that they've been looking in the transfer portal uh, and they, they clearly haven't found the right fit. Uh, they had Juco quarterback, Nate Glance on campus, as you can see from Glance's Twitter. And uh, he was basically the, the Juco Heisman, I believe this spring. And just, he doesn't have an offer. So clearly yours, didn't believe in him, but it's, it's about, you're such convincing all of these guys, Alar included, to get him to stick, that this is an offense that you want to play in. And I think you're right about not having the horses at quarterback. The unfortunate part of it for Penn State is that they probably have it everywhere else. 
right? They have the running backs. They have the wide receivers. They have the tight ends. The offensive line is a little bit more of a question mark, but Yurcich has been able to make do in the past there. Uh, so they have this this really, really great base around it and then not necessarily the quarterback. Now that can change. Yep. Sean Clifford can take a massive step forward this year. Uh, I just don't know that he's done anything, you know, in games to make make people watching think that this will be the year that he takes the step. Yeah, I mean, we got to see it from – I mean, this is the only – this is his last chance, you know. I, I mean – we we've seen I feel like you've seen enough from him that you kind of know what he is now can he make some improvements absolutely but you know I don't think he has a very high ceiling you know I mean at, at the moment until he proves otherwise I mean it's just it's not it's not a really good situation to be in if you're Sean Clifford but at the same time and and the team as a whole but I think that he's gonna have to show more until you know I mean until we see something different from him I I just think you're kind of stuck in this uh you know no man's land of not knowing what you have at quarterback and that's as simple as that or or knowing what it is and it not being good or not being good enough, I should say, because exactly, quite frankly, Sean Clifford would start at a lot of power five programs. Uh, you know, he is a capable quarterback who can make plays with his legs, uh, his spotty decision-making and spotty footwork at times, but can make plays because he would take some risks that, that will work out and some that won't. So he would be starting at plenty of places. Um, I, I don't want to discount that, that he's like some. Yeah, you know, he, yeah he's not. He's not a complete scrub. Let's let's yeah. I wanna get I wanna get that straight. I just think that the Big Ten is such a tough, such a tough conference to play in that like you need a you need at least like a guy that's gonna play at a four star level. Right. You yeah. know, in, in that in that conference to succeed usually. And and you need a guy that can at least manage a game if you have to rely on your running game. So make some plays with his arm. When, when you need it on third and long or, or third and, uh, you know, third and medium even. You need some guy, a guy who can lead a drive down the field late in the game uh, and make the right decisions. And you need a guy who won't turn the ball over. And that goes to sort of that game manager type, which you want more than that. But that kind of baseline can get you plenty in the Big Ten. It can get you double digits. Yes. Wisconsin's been doing it for years. And you, you, need a, you need a Matt McGloin type of guy. Right. At least. Yeah, and like – how many guys have we seen at Wisconsin that just manage the game and they win 10 games every year? Now the West admittedly weaker than the East, but the, the point still stands. Like let's say you lose to Ohio state and Michigan every year and you win every other game that's 10 wins. And that's what a game manager could reasonably get you. Uh, I, I just don't think that they want a game manager. I think that's probably right too. I think you, you should be shooting higher than that, especially if you have Mike Yurcich sort of uh, at the controls here. But, again, they, they don't have it currently, and, and that's that's an issue unto itself. Um, fortunately, what they do have are a lot, a lot, a lot of really good running backs. Uh, this is one of the deepest positions on the team. When I, I when I was working on the story for the depth chart breakdown, you, you go back and you try and find these snaps of all these guys, and you watch John Lovett at Baylor, and it was funny. I kind of – I watched a little bit of Lovett in 2020, and I was like, this – this is not the same guys in 2019 
or 2018, quite frankly, for Baylor. Uh, but if he's the guy from 19 or 18, like you have like four guys who could reasonably start for this team. Um, but we'll start at the top uh, with the running backs. And that is with Noah Kane, who hurt his foot on the first series of the 2020 season against Indiana came back out with crutches, uh, was was done for the year from that point, has done some work in spring. We've seen Penn State post videos on Twitter of the team doing workouts, and he looks fine in those videos. Now, those are six-second clips, so glean what you will from those. But Kane, of course, the big bruising back, downhill guy, works between the tackles, has better long speed than than the other option as a big bruiser on the team in Kevon Lee, uh, or at least did when, when we saw them play most recently. Um, but how do you feel about the, the running back room at Penn state and, you know, what it can look like this year? Well, I'm really in, intrigued to see what, uh, love it can give you. Um, you know, I, I mean, we always talk about like, uh, you know, big 12 guys, uh, you know, big 12 has those wide open offenses and, you know, the running lanes are a little bit looser. Um, well, you know, one thing that I saw from from Lovett in the past, I mean, he was he was very decent at, at the very least. And and I mean, not only that, but in 2019, let's let's talk about some of Lovett's stats. I mean, his uh, I mean, his uh, rushing averages, 5.3 yards a carry, 6.4 yards a carry in 2018 and 2019. If he can give you something akin to that. You know, maybe maybe he gives you four like four and a half like he did his freshman season. But if he can give you that, that's the kind of guy that I'm like, okay, pro- possibly he can be your bell cow. You know, and and Noah Kane, I mean, he's still banged up. Give him some time to rest. Let's see what Lovett has. I really I really like what Lovett has to offer at this moment. Um, you know, and then I and then also. I just go down and I look at guys like Devin Ford and Kevon Lee and uh, Kaziah Holmes. I mean, that you have some youth. And so this running back room isn't the same as it has been in the past where you have a bunch of like veteran guys that have some, uh, you know, mileage on them. But, you know, maybe you could work this to your advantage. Maybe you have three different guys just, you know, rotate and, work down and then beat down an opponent. You know, I, I think this is to me, that's how NFL running backs are used. And I think you could use that in a college format too. You don't have to use the same guy 50 times over, you know, not everybody's a Jared Patterson from uh, Buffalo where Jared Patterson can rent, run for seven, eight touchdowns a game, you know? So sometimes you just have to let these guys, you know, rotate. And I think they have a solid group. I mean, I think this group, to me, I, I'm like I said, I'm very intrigued to see what Lovett has, uh, especially considering the fact that, you know, he's a taller back too. He's a six foot guy, you know, two twelve. I mean, he's built more like a wide out. Um, so I mean, it, it's just interesting to see what he can offer, and uh, you know, maybe Noah Kane will be healthy. If he's not, I still think you know you could go with three, four backs in this uh, rotation. Yeah, and we, we've seen Penn State do that in the past. Uh, you know, Noah Kane started to take over as that lead guy in two, that late 2019, and it it kind of 
you know, until he got hurt. And then Journey Brown became that lead guy. And uh, they, they do, they do lean on, I don't want to call the, them a bell cow, uh, I, but they do lean on one guy. If they get going, Jawan Sider, J1 Sider, excuse me, is willing to ride the hot hand, uh, which I think is a good thing, especially in a backfield, like you said, that has a lot of depth like they do. And you bring up a really good point with Lovett. And he also has excellent long speed. Like he's a, he's a one cut guy hits the hole and will go. Uh, he has that strength. Like you mentioned at 212 pounds uh, could complement Noah Kane really well, right? Like if, if Kane is, is your in between the tackles guy, you can run more outside zone, run stretch plays for love it. Let him get a little bit of momentum, hit the line and go. Um, and that would be sort of what you, what you thought you had in Devin Ford, who is still a capable running back started for them and was, was good last year was not like there, there was nothing to scoff at with Devin Ford, but with the running back play at Penn state in recent memory with Miles Sanders and Saquon Barkley, you, you sort of have a high standard that's been set. And I think if you go with the Kane Lovett combo, you can hit that standard. Now something happens to Kane. You also have Kevon Lee behind them who was really good last year. Now he was, uh, he was not fast, quite frankly, in the open field, he was getting caught from behind a little too often, uh, and uh, did not have the long speed to make these big plays. He's listed as being much lighter than he was last year. About I think it was around 15 pounds, 10 to 15 pounds. So we'll see if that impacts his long speed. I think that could be a, a, a really, really big benefit for him if he's faster because that sort of puts him in that, that Noah Kane territory of a guy who is more than just, I guess, your goal line back, your short yardage back. Uh, that being said, Kevon Lee can, can carry a workload, can, can be a starting running back in the Big Ten. This is a really, really good group. Uh, but I want to go to Keziah Holmes, a guy who I think has potentially the most upside of anyone in this group. Uh, he is the best one in the open field. He is the best receiver of the group. Uh, needs to improve his pass protection, as most of these guys do, as most, most college running backs do, quite frankly. Uh, but Keziah Holmes is the guy that can sort of make you miss. He he wore 26. Like You can, you can see the the jump cuts that Saquon would make when he was here. Uh, you could see the, the moves in the open field where it's a flash of this, a flash of that. I do want to be clear. He's not Saquon Barkley. He's probably not going to be Saquon Barkley. But there is a similar sort of – this guy is a big threat in the open field. This guy is a big threat when you can get when you can swing the ball to him, when you can get him the ball on a screen, uh, when you can run a stretch and just let him get going, let him get defenders and sort of in a phone booth, uh, put him in one-on-one situations. Uh, he is a guy who can break big plays and be a big-time change of pace uh, at running back. Uh, that being said, there's there's a lot of talent in front of him. Like this is going to be hard for any running back to crack. Uh, Holmes is included in that. Like this is, like you said, not a ton of these guys have a bunch of mileage on them. They've all been even even love it. The the oldest of the group uh, does not have a ton of mileage on his legs. Like he's he's run for less than I think three hundred carries in his career. Um, you know there there is going to be uh, less than four three fifty. Excuse me. Around it's around like you know three thirty or three forty for love it. Uh, but it's going to be tough for any of these guys to fully take over as the starting running back. Um, I, I think they're all going to split carries. I think whoever has is playing the best is going to get the most carries, but I also think that each guy is going to have his role. And like I said, Jay one sider has been excellent about managing the sort of sort of personalities and managing the workloads and getting these guys to buy in with the lawn boys and everything. Like this is see, this has in the past been one of the most cohesive uh, units on, on Penn state's roster. Uh, 
you know, that goes back to, to Journey Brown and Ricky Slade when, when they were playing too. Like they were, this was just, just seemed to be a cohesive unit where they all got along. Everyone on the, in the group was, was pulling for each other. There wasn't a ton of, you know, uh, there wasn't a ton of while there was competition it was all in good spirit like there was no animosity toward each other when someone else got you know broke a big run there was sort of a he's doing this out there for me kind of mentality and it was especially true with journey brown who obviously had to retire last year due to a heart condition uh but yeah that it is it is a strong group to say the least uh in a group that i i am excited to see continue to develop uh and one that i think could be one of the best in the big 10 this year. Yeah. I mean, I, we, we always see Penn state running backs, you know, playing incredibly well. And I mean, have that, that camaraderie. And I, I think that this group can also, you know, be part of that future of Penn state guys that have that camaraderie that play together that, you know, are, are going to bounce off of one another. You know, they complement each other. Well, it, it kind of reminds you, of, uh, you know, I guess I'm going to throw this in there, but kind of that Ravens running back room where you got you got a ton of different guys that can do different things, right? And so, you know, Penn State, I, I really like Kaziah Holmes. I mean, like you said, he can – his his explosiveness is, is outstanding. And, I mean, yes, we probably won't see him touch the field heavily, but the fact of the matter is that this kid, I mean, he can do it all has all the ability that you can think of, but he just needs to put on weight to get better at pass pro. And, um, you know, I think that's something you can always improve in running backs. I think, you know, sometimes guys don't get great at pass pro until they get to the NFL. But one thing I will say is that in this Juricic offense, he's going to have to get good at pass pro, you know, so they're going to, they're going to use him. I mean, if they want to use him as a weapon, yeah, maybe, you know, you could cut him out of the, the Jeffrey Dempster, uh, Chris Rainey cloth and try to try to use him in that way. But I, I think that he wants, like you said, if he, if he can be the number one guy, if he is an all purpose back that can do it all, you want him on the field, three, three downs, you want a three down running back. And I think that he can be this guy. If he goes and puts the weight on, you know, as for the other guys, I, I really like what they have to offer. Um, at this moment. And, um, you know, I, I think this Penn State running back group, like you said, is one of the best groups on the team. And it's something that you obviously can't sneeze at because there's a strong group. Yeah. And, and to Holmes' credit, he's, he was, I think he was at 179 when he enrolled, but he's listed at 209 now. I don't know how much I buy 209. Uh, you know, Penn State has been honest with their weights in the past, but 209 still feels heavier than, than he, uh, then he kind of looks. Maybe he just carries it really well, but we'll we'll see what is you know what he what he looks like this year when they come out and play. But but yeah, I think even then he could he could afford to add some strength at the very least and to improve in pass protection. Like you said, the, he has to be able to to hold up in the passing game because I think a lot of times people think about a, a running back who's good in the passing game. They think a guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield, maybe even run a few routes out of the slot, but. But to be out there, you have to be able to protect the quarterback, too, because it can't be a tell when you're on the field. Like, you can't be telling on yourself if, okay, if Keziah Holmes is on the field, the running back's going out for a route. But if Devin Ford's out there, he's staying in the block, right? Like, you need to be able to do both because defenses need to be able to match up 
need or you can't you don't want defenses to be able to match up based on strictly your personnel. That's why you want versatility at every position. Uh, so I think you're right. I think the the improvement at the pass protection is going to be so so important for him in taking the step forward. And you know he's. I don't know if he's at the bottom of the depth chart. I don't know if he's in the middle. I don't know if he's at the top. I think it'll it'll change quite a bit uh, with this running back group. I, you know, I had Noah Kane at the top, but that might change by week two. You know, it might change by week four again and, and week seven one more time and, you know, uh, week 10 for the final time of the season, right? Like, it, it, it's just going to be rotating a lot with this group. So the, the any depth chart breakdown of, of Penn State's running backs is really, well, here's everyone. They're all going to get a lot of touches. They're all going to get a lot of playing time. And this is why that they're doing it, right? Like, that is, I think, more important with this group. This is what they're bringing to the table. This is how they can contribute. Uh, but yeah, this is, this should be one of the best team, best groups in the conference should be one of the best groups on the team. Uh, and, and one of the strong points, which, you know, is, is going to be necessary for Penn state if they want to make the playoff this year, that being said, uh, there is one more thing we want to touch on that, that I think is, uh, important with Penn state football, at least. And that is, it seems like at some point over the next two to five years, the college football playoff is going to be expanding to 12, uh, 12 teams. And we didn't discuss this a ton pre-show, but I, you know, this is an important subject uh, and, you know, something that is going to drastically impact a team like Penn state. So uh, Kyle, I'll let you go first, but how do you think an expansion to 12 could impact, you know, the, the Penn state football program? Well, I mean, I, <laughs> me personally, I, I think, this is great for Penn state because I think that one college football is going to look, I mean, when we talk about college football, I'm talking about the FBS, which isn't the only, I think people tend to forget that the FBS isn't the only thing that that exists. Cause I mean, the FCS has already had a 2014 playoff for a while now. Yeah. And it is, Um, by the way, uh, watch it every year. Yeah. I I love it. I love every second of it. And I I definitely watch it every year because one, a lot of those teams I grew up watching, you know, went on, uh, I had uh, the mid Atlantic sports network. I I used to watch um, in Comcast Sportsnet back in the day. And I would sit there and watch uh, James Madison, or I would watch Towson or I will watch, you know, I, I mean, North Dakota state always is on ESPN. They produce like, you know, quarterback after quarterback. So, I mean, they had 24 teams. They have 24 teams. And I think that that makes, I mean, all the parity that's involved, you know, I think college, uh, do you, uh, the FBS, they're going to look at that and they're going to be like, hmm, we're going to do this on a larger scale, but with 12 teams, let's see how it works right now. And if time goes on and they figure out that they can make even more money off of this and they can make a 24 team playoff down the line, which I don't think is going to happen anytime soon. I think 12, they're going to stick with it. And then maybe 10 years from now, they revisit it. But I just really like what they have going on right now. I think I think 12 teams is, is great for Penn State. Uh, I think it's good for any program that is within that, you know, tw- 10 to 20 range. You know, I if I'm them – now I'm like, oh, well, now we got a chance. Maybe Miami actually jumps back into the conversation as a, uh, you know, a college football playoff team. You know, maybe the Notre Dames of the world, they get a little bit more uh, clout. Um, you know, maybe it brings back some of the the story programs that we haven't heard from in a while, you know. And, I mean, 
maybe we hear Texas is back for the 500th time. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just think it's going to bring more parity to college football and it's going to bring recruits to different schools. We don't have to worry about all the recruits going to Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia and Alabama, you know, and that was that's we don't want to see and and maybe like one other school. But, you know, we don't want to see that every year. We want to see recruits go to different schools. We want to see recruits go to, you know, these these like other schools that are on the bubble. You know, and Penn State is a school that's right on the bubble of becoming one of those teams. So, you know, I, I think it's great for them. And I think it's great for college football personally. I mean, if people say that it's not, I mean, I, I have to vehemently disagree with them. Yeah, I, I think the, the there are a couple of things you said that I want to touch on there. The the primary thing about like people not liking it, I, I honestly can't fathom why you wouldn't like it. I, I know some people have said that it's, it's weakening the regular season, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because it it means more games are going to matter and more games are going to impact the college football playoff, which is why everyone's playing. As we've seen from guys sitting out bull games, right? Like they're, they're not playing bull games because they, they don't want to get hurt and affect their draft stock because guys don't care about bull games. They, they care about titles. They want to win the national title. And to them, I think, uh, to a lot of guys, at least, I think a bull game is a consolation prize, and that's not what they they went to their school to to try to earn. But the the biggest point and the 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 most crucial point that will affect college football, I think, is uh, this this idea about recruiting. And we're gonna have more on this down the line. But I think this is going to broaden recruiting in a way that doesn't funnel to those four schools, like you said, that opens things up to other teams, that allows them to recruit at a similar level or convinces a few kids that go to Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Georgia to go to other schools because they can make the playoff elsewhere. Uh, I do think it is interesting that that Notre Dame literally can never have a first round bye if this is how, if the format, the current format is set with the top six conference champions and then six, uh, you know, non-automatic qualifiers uh, that that come from the, just the next six highest ranked teams. I think that would be uh, interesting because Notre Dame obviously can't win a conference championship if they're not in a conference so they can't get a top six seed um i i also think it it could spur you know movement there no source information there or anything like that but logic would dictate that if you can only be a top six seed if you're in a conference that you would probably want to be in a conference then right like i i don't see an advantage to being a seven to twelve seed uh and the other thing is the timeline for this i've you know we've seen the reporting at, at Get, get get the Big Ten to get Notre Dame. That's all I'm gonna say. That would be fun. Or the ACC. I'll, I'm listen. Nobody loves conference realignment more than me. Let's just move some things around again. I am all for it. I will never complain. Uh, but the the other thing is the time. Let's bring back the Big East. Yeah. Hey, I'm fine with the Big East. I love Big East basketball. You will never hear me complain about Big East basketball. So I will be. Uh, I would be all aboard for more Big East football. But. Uh, the, the, the timeline with 2023 sort of being the target date or the I guess the, the earliest that, that it could be implemented uh, in 2026 kind of being the latest with contracts expiring and everything with ESPN. Um, I think I'm not overly optimistic that it'll be 2023 just because I've seen sort of how these, these machinations work and everything with the college football playoff. Uh, I spoke in the past, this was probably three years ago to to Bill Hancock, the college football playoff uh, executive director when I was covering the national title game. And he said that the, the earliest 
the earliest expansion could happen was 2026. Now, money talks, things change. Uh, I would think it will still be before 2026, but there's also a lot of moving parts that this uh, this committee has to figure out that, that they've established has to figure out this summer, right? Like they have to figure out the logistics of where all of these games are going to be played, the financials of it, and you know how they uh, how the money is going to be distributed, uh, distributed, excuse me, uh, how they're going to get out of the current contracts with the bull games with ESPN or how they're going to alter those games. Um, you know, the Rose Bowl always seems to be the one that holds things up because they want tradition, although that went by the wayside with the playoff anyways. So maybe that doesn't matter as much. Uh, or maybe it's a second round game pitting a, a Big Ten team and a Pac-12 team. Who, who knows? But like there's uh, there are a lot, a lot, a lot of discussions that need to be had. Uh, you know, this is I still think some time away, but I think the advantage to this sort of leaking out sooner and coming out sooner and then being uh, open about it sooner, quite frankly, them being the college football playoff committee uh, is that recruits can start to look now at like these other schools and be like, OK, well, maybe maybe in 2023 or 2024, if I go to a Penn State, if I go to a Miami, uh, if I go to a Louisville, like I can be fighting for a playoff spot if I go there, if I go to UCF, you know, like schools like that, if it's the other part of this is I, it is not the top six. Uh, it is not the, the power five champions and a group of six champion. It is the top ranked six conference championships as things currently sit, that can obviously change, but that seems to be the proposal that is, that is the, the most popular at this point. And that doesn't guarantee, you know, a PAC 12 champ a spot if they're behind a, you know, a Mountain West champ and uh, an AAC champ, right? Like there, there's a chance that a Pac-12 champ could get left out uh, in those scenarios. So I think this does open it up. It, it does what the, the, the conference is called the Autonomy Five, which is essentially the five that can control voting. Uh, the Power Five is no longer in as firm control as it once was from a competition standpoint. The rules and everything, obviously, there's a different story. There's a, you know, a, an uneven power structure within – uh, FBS football, but I think this could open the field to to other teams too, not just Penn State. That being said, Penn State would have been in it for the last five years, right? If they were, and uh, if this was a top twelve playoff, so this is obviously a good sign for Penn State, a good thing for Penn State, uh, especially if if you know as long as James Franklin is the team's head coach, uh, should have them sort of in that tier of teams, and uh, you know should have them competing for college football championships if that's the case. Yeah, I mean, I look, I'm always I'm all for expansion every time um, just because one it's just more parity. And two, I love college basketball and I know you love college basketball, too. Yes, so I it's it's perfect for if you love college basketball and you love everything about it. Why not bring that into football a little bit? Not it doesn't need to be as big. We don't need a 60 14. We, we don't need the 68 with plans and everything, but I do. Exactly. The broader point is absolutely correct. Yes. I mean, if we, if we can get a, I mean, I think 12 is perfect because that was what the NFL had up until, what was it, a year, uh, two years ago. So, I mean, to me, I think that's pretty cool, but you also have a hundred something teams in it in college football. So, I mean, I think 20, I think it's eventually going to get the 24. That's my personal thought process i never would have said that a couple of years ago but now after seeing it go from freaking four to 12 now i'm like okay realistically speaking it's going to get to the same size as the fcs playoffs i mean it's just too many teams in college football 
not to have that kind of parity. And bowls can still matter. Bowls can absolutely still matter. We can have the local. I mean, all the all the bowl games can be uh, so many of these top tier bowl games. Or I guess the top like, you know, 10, 15 bowl games can be, you know, college football. I mean, well, college football playoff games or sites for that. You know, maybe use the site of the Gator Bowl. Maybe use the site of, you know, some of the other, you know, higher up bowls, a Cotton Bowl, things like that, the the Peach Bowl. Um, that's what I want to see. I want to, I mean, if the, if these bowl games are so worried about not getting that revenue, then then use them for college, college football playoffs. You know, I, th- I think that's the reasonable way to go about it. I mean, you're, you're, win- you're making so much more money than you would if you got a, a just a bunch of okay teams in there. You know, if you could get an Alabama to, to play in the Gator Bowl, or if you can get an Alabama to play in one of these other, you know, bowl games that they probably wouldn't have shown up in because they would have been too good. They would have just automatically gone to the college football playoff. I think this is perfect for that. And, you know, I, I don't see why people shouldn't be excited about it. Yeah, and, and I think they could open up, you know, I, I think there's a chance, or at least how I would do it is the first and second round would all be bowl games. Like, I think that is a perfectly reasonable way to do it. I don't really care if Alabama is the Gator Bowl and the Ticket City Bowl champion. Like, in one year, that does the, – the historical impact is not – I don't think it's so great that you, like, lose anything or anything like that. But I, I do think this is a chance for bowl games to still survive. The other thing is pick good matchups, like pick rivalries that teams or that, that places want to see that that fan bases want to travel to. Like pick matchups that that are if, if you're not one of these, you know, playoff bulls or whatever they end up being like pick matchups that can if you want to make money, pick matchups that's going to generate you revenue. Right. And we we know bull games already do that. So uh, I, I think that will probably continue. And I think bull games will probably be fine. And I don't know that I, I don't think 24 is I know some people might hear that and think it's crazy. I think you're probably you're probably right that it's eventually going to get there, because at the end of the day, as it always has in the NCA, money talks and money is currently talking. And it went from, oh, we thought this was going to expand from like four to six or maybe four to eight. But that's a little big for a jump to immediately four to 12 because they saw the revenue it would bring. Uh, so I, I don't think it would be a surprise at all if this eventually gets to 24 in the next you know, 10 to 15 years at some point, because again, money talks in college football and it always has, and it likely always will as long as it's bringing in so much of it. Um, But that'll do it for this episode of the lion's lair. Uh, You can find this podcast, of course, on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, wherever you find podcasts, you can find us. Uh, You can read Kyle and I's work at centerdaily.com. You can find us both on Twitter. He is, at Kyle J. Andrews underscore. I am at John Sauber with no H in John. Um, you can subscribe to the CDT at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast to get a special offer there to get a discounted price, uh, which is always a plus. And, uh, you know, you can you can keep tuning in every week. We will be here every Wednesday with, with these podcasts, probably talking, you know, whatever news comes up, whatever breaking news happens, uh, whatever Penn State sport it is, this week just happened to be, you know, it was it's step chart breakdown time and, and the college football playoff news is seemingly rocking the the college athletics industry. There will be more news that affects college athletics as a whole. We'll get into that next week and in the week after and every week from here on out. Um, but thanks for tuning in and have a great day.